Good morning. Log Talk Radio. This is All About Wine, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Ron. Basically what we're doing this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinebtr. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Good crown tonight. Good crown. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Very cool. Welcome to the show. Seven something PM. Seven still? Seven oh one. Seven oh one. And it's on May the eleventh. 2023. So if you're listening to us live, thank you. If you're listening to us in archives, thank you. And we are uh, no guests tonight. We are going to have a guest next week. And so I'll get you the information on that, Mike, so you can get it posted. And uh, I got, oh, this is something I was going to talk to you about, Mike, before. We got on the air, but since we're on the air, I can still talk to you about it, I suppose. I don't think it's something that I have to do off the air. Uh, I got a email f- for a guest from a Nick Cataldi, and he is saying that he can uh, get us a guest with our get us a, a Michelle Ross on the show, but Michelle Ross is uh, Somstation. Somstation. Didn't we do Somstation with uh, another? Yeah. Danielle Deliberti. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah, I, so. I thought so too, and. Uh, mm. So we can get a, a but yeah, you know, that's something you can, if you don't yeah, mind. Uh, yeah, we had Danielle uh, from the CEO of Sumstation on December twenty second last year. Okay, yeah, I thought maybe we did because he he mentioned, and you know, I would be more than happy to put you in contact with the. Uh, CEO, and then he mentioned mm-hmm. her name, and I thought, wait a minute, we we did something with them. So yeah. uh, okay, I I just want to, I guess we can have Michelle on the show, uh, tell her background and everything she's doing, and her perspective of uh, some some station, and see what uh, what she has to say about it. So uh, okay. okay, I just wanted to confirm that we had 
talk to someone from there. So uh, when I contact Nick, I can let him know. But yeah, okay, very good. Uh, I'll try to get her on sometime soon then have her tell us her story, I guess, and what what she's uh, how she got into it and all that. So yeah. uh, that will should be interesting there too. Very uh, mm-hmm. good. Uh, oh, I just got stuff tonight uh, to to pass on this information, all that, uh, and uh, things that I thought that you all might find interesting, uh, you as our listeners out there. And so, unless we don't have anything else, I guess we'll jump right into it tonight. Uh, which is unusual because we usually don't get into the show this early in forever. <laughs> so, all right, here we go. Vietnamese wines. I, I, wanna, I was talking to Mike about that a little bit before the show. The Vietnamese wines. I get uh, different things in my email on wines. Different things pop up all the time. I'm I subscribe to a lot of different wine-related news stories and stuff. And I got one that popped up that was about Vietnamese wines and what was going on there and how they're catching hold in the Middle East and how they're exporting. I don't know. I think the number was like 65% of their wines. And it was... I just glanced at the article thinking, okay, this would be something interesting to talk about because Vietnam is an area that everybody's heard of uh, because of the the long drawn out war there and and a lot of people have been there and it's a new tourist attraction now Vietnam is really bringing in a lot of people as tourists so it's becoming uh, a destination for a lot of people said that they're really doing something about wine. So I decided to look up Vietnamese wines. And why? I'll tell you, they are doing a lot with wines. It is really surprising. And it's a lot of women are doing the wines there, too. It's not just um, men that are taking over and doing it, but uh, surprisingly, the women have done a lot in the different areas. Uh, first, the regions of uh, Vietnamese uh, grape growing uh, is, uh, let's see, where is the, oh, geez. Uh, well, uh, the uh, Winemakers from Australia and, and uh, different international areas have uh, been to uh, Vietnam and have brought in grapes. It's a little hot to grow grapes in Vietnam. It gets to be very, very hot and humid. And let's see where I'm going to look at something here I saw earlier. I'm sorry, I'm not really organized on this because... I wasn't sure I was going to even mention this, but uh, oh geez, where am I? Here we go. Okay, uh, 
Vietnamese, Vietnamese wine uh, was first cultivated and brought into the country by the French, which, if you know anything about history, the French was over in Vietnam for a number of years, and that's when the United States went over there and the French left. The region is usually too hot for Vitis vinifera. This is the one that um, we're so used to in, in our wines. Uh, but in the late 20th century, after the French basically failed to do anything with grapes there because of the the heat, uh, they pulled out their grape things. But in 1995, Australia decided to jump back in, and they started to plant and reintroduce Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay. And uh, uh, the thing is, they had to go in and clear out a lot of areas to start with because, uh, well, landmines were still left over from the Vietnam War, and they had to clean out a lot of areas. And once they got the areas clean, they went in and planted Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay. Uh, Vietnam is located really uh, in a tropical climate. It's high humidity in the rainy seasons throughout the summer, the monsoons, and it's just, it's not conducive to wine grapes and trying to grow wine grapes. Uh, the French planted their vineyards in the highlands, and so uh, uh, this was around Hanoi, which is in northern Vietnam. And modern viticulture areas have produced success uh, in those areas by uh, doing some aggressive pruning and a uh, special type of trellising for the grapes and everything. And it has helped prevent the grapes from getting a powdery mildew and all sorts of problems with a lot of rain. And it is working. Uh, the uh, in 2005, uh, main grape varieties planted in Vietnam uh, are the Cardinal and the Chamborson. I don't know what the Cardinal is. Let's click on this and see what the Cardinal is. Why don't we do that? The grape is a cross of the Quindy Weingarten and Ribbler Table Grape. There you go. Uh, according to latest research. And the grape is used as a typical table grape for eating and making raisins. In Thailand and Vietnam, it's widely used in wine production. And it is the main parent of the Blanc de Bois subtropical wine grape. There you go. All right. Uh, cultivation of the variety was introduced in the Philippines in the 70s and is grown there now. So, uh, interesting. Uh, the Cardinal. Never... Never heard of the Cardinal. So, um, the uh, Vietnamese uh, main grapes are those two, the Cardinal and the Chamborsum, but there's an abundance of fruit there. So, the uh, Australian winemakers were working on introducing more international grape varieties in the region, as well as experimenting with sparkling wines. And it's working somewhat. Many new vineyard sites are being planted in areas uh, that have been mostly demined. 
And so that's what they're, that's the areas that they're finding that is good for grapevines now. After they demine the area, they're putting in grapevines. But there's a lot of fruit wines coming out of Vietnam. And it's uh, a, uh, a growing, oh crap. Uh, <laughs> I clicked a button there that uh, wiped off my screen. And uh, here we go. Okay. Um, one of the questions on Google search is, is there a good wine in Vietnam? And the answer is, even though the country has warm and humid weather, the viticulture thrives in different regions, especially with grapes, Cardinal, and Chamborsan. Taste excellent wines in the Vietnam Vietnamese wineries, finding outstanding accommodations, and enjoy amazing vineyards and cellar tours. So, yes, there are some good wines coming out of Vietnam. And that's what I have found in the articles I read, and there are some very good wines coming out of Vietnam. So... Uh, I and they are exporting a lot. Now I don't know if any of that's being exported to the United States. I hope so because I'd really like to find some Vietnam uh, uh, Vietnamese wines here. I it, I think that would be interesting to see what they are, even if they are some of those brands that we normally wouldn't expect to find in wine uh, in wines. So uh, let's see. Here's an interesting question: How much does a bottle of wine cost in Vietnam. And it says mid-range bottles will set you back less than $10. Well, which is sort of scary if it's only that cheap. But after they ship it across over here, who knows how much it'll cost. So, uh, vineyards, there's a vineyards of southern Vietnam. We were talking about the vineyards around Hanoi, which is in northern Vietnam. And this is... Uh, this is talking about another one here. Viet, birthplace of Vietnamese wine, Dalat, D-A-L-A-T. Uh, the best ones can be found in Dalat. Dalat is a mountain town in the south-central highland of Vietnam with a milder climate. And when the French came with wineries, though not well advertised or well-known, these wineries are still in business today and can be found and can find their bottles in stores around the city, and you can visit the one yourself and delight. Uh, one of the oldest and biggest wineries of the region is the Delat Beco, found by the French in 1974, uh, just right before the, Vietnam, the Vietnamese War ended. The winery grows its own organic grapes and produces various types of red and white wines. So interesting, interesting. Uh, didn't know about Vietnamese wines being so popular. Um, so, uh, if you see any, if you've tasted any, if you've had any, if you know where you can buy any, email me. Let me know. I would really, really be interested in knowing about Vietnamese wines. I seriously doubt I'm going to find any around because I've never senior you know the times I peruse the wine shops and stuff but who knows they there may be some hidden in the corners of some of these places that I'm not aware of okay uh, 
Now, some other information for you here, some of the little things. The first one is, I thought was interesting, chat GPT. Chat GPT is its artificial intelligence that interfaces with chat GPT. And it says that uh, older the people are, the less they know about this, and the younger they are, the more they can navigate right through all this chat GPT. Mm, excuse me. But chat GPT. Uh, here. Generally loved, uh, loved by the people by the kind of people who loathe producing things via committee, Chat GPT, which, as Decanter's Rome critic Matt Wallace pointed out on social media recently, sounds like a cat I've farted when said in French, uses vast amounts of already available data across the internet to find the best response to your question. And that's what ChatGPT is. Uh, a lot of students use it to write reports. Thus, AI suggestions are in line of best fit across a host of data points. Okay. Now, this is what uh, Winery in Langendock uh, based Abrilt. Ebert and Mathaus, the end cuvee, uh, the end cuvee, produced uh, across only 600 bottles, and is the first wine that is done with artificial intelligence. And it goes on the platform suggested a 60% Grenache and 40% Syrah blend, which it said generally makes it possible to obtain a fruity and balanced wine, but you can reverse the proportions to obtain a more tannic profile. That was quoted from the chat, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, the interface also suggested a burgundy-shaped bottle, casing the wine, it said, and it also ignored the suggested, and the winery also ignored the suggested retail price from the artificial intelligence of selling between 50 and 100 euro. Instead, they opted for a more entry level 20 euro. And let's see, uh, no report or anything that says what it actually tastes like, because, like I said, they made. 600 bottles of it, so it is, uh, you know, no reports on it. Uh, so there you go. It's uh, the first artificial intelligence chat GPA produced and corroborated bottle of wine. I don't think we'll see it over here because only 600 bottles that won't make it across the pond. So that'll pretty much take care of that. Okay. Let me get out of that and go to that. Okay. Washington Wine Industry has a new problem. Washington State has a new problem. It is beetles. 
and that is well as among so many problems we have in the uh, uh, wine industry uh, if you raise grapes for a living and you've never met Popolia Japonica and that is the name of Popolia Japonica says consider yourself lucky that as this is not the kind of girl you want to take home to mom or your grapevines. Is the scientifically named scarab beetle. And it's an invasive species that feeds on foliage, buds, flowers, fruits, and over 300 plants with grapevines at the top of the preferred menu. Ew. Uh, they will skeletonize the leaves and some grapevine, grape varieties or eat completely through the leaves of others. So it just you know, defoliates the, the plant. They've made a home throughout American viticulture for over a century since they arrived from Japan in 1916. But the latest infestation is causing concern in Worston where the State Department of Agriculture has identified Yakima and Benton counties as hotspot. Investigators detected and destroyed some 23,000 of the beetles there last year, and they have uh, major concerns that it's going to be much, much more this year. And Japanese beetles are active flyers capable of covering up to five miles uh, with a little tailwind. And the... Uh, area is on high alert incredibly destructive is the way that they're described adding the discovery of even one should bring about a high alert they are that destructive uh, the brilliant colored pest can cause significant damage grapevines during the peak adult activity period of july through september and uh, let's see the 2,000 of some 3,000 Grandview area properties were sprayed with insecticide in 2022, the first year of the spring program. Properties sprayed last year with the low-risk insecticide will need another application in 2023 uh, to promote the eradication. So, uh, another bug, another bug we have to worry about, another non-native bug that needs to be worried about here in uh, the United States. And this one is the, uh, well, the Papalia Japonica, or the, uh, oh, what did I say the common name was? Japanese beetle. Yeah, there you go. That was pretty easy to remember. Right. Um, so Japanese beetle, uh, scarab multicolor, sort of a pretty bug, but still very destructive to plant. Okay. Uh, let's go to this and let's go to this. Oops, let's go to this. Oh, why is this? Hmm. Okay, there we go. All right. Uh, Two different things for you here. Uh, why industry? Oh, I thought this was funny. Why are industry professionals rethinking the language of wine? Uh, 
well, I won't go into this whole article here, but it, it, in a nutshell, I read it, and I shook my head a lot while I was reading it. And they say that the language of wine has been around for years, in years, in years, in years. And it has been one that we continue to teach in classes. We continue to talk about it. I've mentioned it many times. I mean, it's just uh, uh, something that's out there and something that we do because it's pretty much ingrained in the culture of wine drinking. And this group of sommeliers are saying, well, why don't we change this? Why don't we make it simpler? Huh? I thought make it simpler from what? It's pretty simple now. Uh, aroma, how can we make a smell? Okay, we can change aroma to smell. And a uh, bouquet would be pretty smell? I don't know. I just I think it's a little silly that they're talking about doing uh, a simpler, friendlier wine languages. It just seems, I don't know. I don't know. But they're talking about the, the aroma wheel. Well, yeah, the aroma wheel is around for a long time, and the aroma wheel has been quite uh, overused. But there are uh, different words that are not on the aroma wheel, so it can be expanded. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, expand the aroma wheel and find more aromas to stick in there if you will, but I think if you start getting too many aromas in there, you're going to get to the point where it's just saturated with one, and a lot of them are going to seem almost identical to the other. As for the novice, it already is. Uh, so just, you know, back off from the aroma wheel. And then... Uh, then we've got other other descriptors that you know people are saying we don't need to use these and when, when these are getting a little out of hand. I think that if you keep it simple, it's not out of hand. It pretty much describes everything. I think when you start getting sommeliers like these people who are saying that we need to take a different approach. When you start getting the sommeliers doing that, when you start getting these people who uh, go crazy on it and sniff a wine and say, I smell uh, a little bit of burnt leather from the couch when you've dropped a cigar on it at 7 o'clock at night. And, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, it's just, you're going, ah! You know, just give a simple description, but I think some of the sommeliers get a little carried away with their description. If you ever heard them, you can understand what I'm saying. And, and a lot of times you're going, wow, I don't, you know, what? I don't get that at all. And it it just confuses people. But if you keep it simple and don't try to show that you're detecting a whole bunch of subtle things in there, then that's probably a lot easier to distinguish the whole thing. So, well, I don't know. The language is a little bit 
crazy language a little bit. Um, overall, I think it's okay, though. You know, <laughs> when they're going about this stuff, it needs to be changed. No, it doesn't. You know, it just quit trying to make it so much more than what it really is, and we'll be fine. Okay, the next one we got here is... Uh, what? Uh, well, what the heck? There you go. Um, botanage. Botanage. Uh, you all know what that is. Most people don't. Uh, it's a French word. And botanage is simply entails stirring up the dead yeast cells with a stick or a baton. Sticking it down into the barrel and stirring up all the stuff at the bottom. Um, let me give you a little little read here on, on the techniques and stuff of botanades. This is like many traditional French practices designed to make life more delicious. Uh, botanades can result in transcendent transcendence under the right conditions. Okay. The leaves in a wine barrel are made up of dead yeast cells, grape stems, and skin tidbits. These are skins from the grape, uh, grapes. The cell membranes uh, also are included in the grape pulp and micromolecules and other tiny grape goodies. They all settle to the bottom of the fermentation vessel. That's when you talk about racking off the top. You're taking the wine off of the top of that, not picking up that stuff. In a technique that dates back to the ancient Roman times, newly fermented wine is often left on the lees in the tank. And all that stuff at the bottom is called the lees, L-E-E-S. Uh, so it's left on the lees in the tank or barrel or vat or whatever you're using. Contact adds complexity improves texture and mouthfeel and helps build structure in your wine. Okay, pretty simple. Stirring the leaves back into the wine in the vessel, generally but not always on oak barrels, is known as the art of batonage, B-A-T-O-N-N-A-G-E. Generally accomplished with a stick, there are also racking systems that accomplish the same goal without using a stick. Batonage is in addition to extracting additional layers of flavor, aroma, texture, and structure, also reduces the risk of hydrogen sulfide forming. Okay, and the reason for that, left on their own dead yeasty devices, lees can sometimes settle into a solid mass that imbues an entire batch of wine with the distinct odor of rotting eggs. Okay, so that's a problem if you just let it sit there too long without paying attention to it. 
So more flavor and structure, fewer sense of decaying ovum, win-win. But not always. As temperatures rise in many winemaking regions and wine taste trends toward leaner, fresher flavors, some winemakers are sidelining the longtime partner Tanage, uh in their fight with climate change, while others embrace it ever more enthusiastically. So there you go. That's batonage. And it's you can taste if a wine. Well, yeah, a lot of times you can taste a wine that has been stirred, that has been mixed up with that because it gives it a little, I think, a little creamier flavor. So uh, it's, uh, you know, next time it says left on the lees or something like that, and they, they do, they brag about that, and a lot of winers will put that on their label, left on the lees, and if that's there, then uh, look for the creaminess in the wine. So, okay, so that, I want to tell you about batonage. And let's see, and this one, oh, there we go, okay, this one I can, Washington State has uh, tried to introduce a bill in the Senate, and the Washington wine industry helped stop it. The bill wanted to lower the DUI to 0.05% from the 0.08. Now, that doesn't sound like much, but it is. It makes a big difference. Uh, the only state right now that's using 0.05 uh, is Utah. And that's where about a third, two-thirds of the population is Mormon. And so they got a bunch of other weird rules that we've already talked about in past episodes in Utah. But 0.05, the bill that was introduced in Washington State uh, was stopped before it got to the governor. And the governor said he was going to sign it into a law if it came to his desk. And the passage of that type of bill would have uh, would have changed drinking habits in whatever state it goes into and I'm not exaggerating 0.05 is basically one drink and it is Impossible to judge how much people have. This is something the restaurants were complaining about. They're saying that when someone walks into the restaurant, you can't tell if they've had one drink or not. They sit down and they say, give me a drink. And you pour them a drink and there's their second one. And that 0.05 has been reached. And so what do you do? You say, okay, you've can't drink anymore because you reach the 0.05 and they don't show any signs of it or anything, but their blood alcohol content is going to be at 0.05. And the sad thing is, and this is something that 
when I had the winery, this it was something that I heard that the federal government was going to look at doing a 0.05 um, blood alcohol content as opposed to 0.08. And I, I'd signed petitions and all sorts of stuff along with other wineries trying to stop this because uh, one thing, 0.05, is so low that one drink, especially women, and uh, this is nothing against women drinking, but alcohol gets to them faster than men. And one drink on ladies that came into the winery would have hit that 0.05. Two for men would have hit that 0.05 in a short period of time. A good example would be going to a restaurant, a couple going to a restaurant, ordering a bottle of wine, and they would have to have one drink each of that bottle of wine and take it home. Uh, and places don't allow that. Florida does, yay. But places don't allow that. And so it, it just oh, opened up so many horrible possibilities that I don't think they considered. And so they did stop it. They did drop it on the federal level. And it still pops up every once in a while up on the state level, hence Washington, someone introducing it there too. It's... I don't know. I, it's horrible that people drink and drive. And it's horrible that people, I had a very good friend of mine when I was in eighth grade, a very good friend of mine lost his sister to a drunk driver. I mean, I was first introduced to it back then and I've been aware of it ever since. There's been other incidents, but you know, it's, it's horrible. But still though, the 0.05 is right at that edge that is just too low. And is it really going to stop the people who are going to drink and drive and not care about it anyway? I mean, no, it's it's not. So uh, I, I'll get off my soapbox. I always tend to get on a soapbox every night or every week about something that I see and, and this is one of those there where uh, trying to get that uh, fine or that uh, alcohol level down for people. I mean, you know, I don't, know. I don't have a solution right now. I wasn't thinking about it, but I know the solution is not lowering the alcohol content in your bloodstream to 0.05 from 0.08. So, okay, let me get out of that. And let me go to uh, this. And, oh, yeah, this is a. Uh, this one I thought was interesting. We just talked last week about how. The millennials are not drinking, and the uh, boomers are dying out, and wine is losing its appeal, and it is not being um, bought as often, and all sorts of things like that. Well, this article, 
and this is out of uh, the drinks business. It says, everyone bemoans the lack of interest in wine among millennials and Gen Z, but wine producers and online retailers in the U.S. are finding that the younger generation love a tailored subscription and will outspend boomers and Gen X sufficiently or significantly, he says, if the offer is right. So there you go. It's uh, the, the situation finds that the 60-plus age group is the only growth segment in the wine market. But the Gen Z and millennials are spending, and they are spending money on uh, wine, but it is if it's sold in a particular way. They're not just going to the grocery store and spending money on wine. And... Uh, of screwing up the averages. So young consumers welcome getting everything from sandwiches to beauty price delivered to them on a subscription basis. And it says that almost half of Gen Z, 46%, and millennials, 49%, were interested in subscriptions compared to about a third of the overall public. Oh, almost half of Gen Z's at 48% and millennials at 44% expressed interest in products linked to online celebrities and curators or influencers. The only thing that's better than a subscription for them is one that suits their particular goals and desires, and especially if it's touted on social media where Gen Z spends on average more than four hours scrolling, clicking, and buying every day. So, it's, you know, the, the thing with Gen Z and millennials are not buying wine, so they are. It's just to a different type of approach. They're not going down to the store. Uh, they belong to clubs, they belong to uh, subscription groups that they get it shipped to them all the time, and uh, not unlike my grandson and his wife, they also go to people's house and have wine tastings that they then uh, can get wine right through them because the people have extra wine, they buy it. And so there's all sorts of different approaches to wine. So the reports of the wine industry dying because the millennials and the Gen Zs are not buying is greatly exaggerated. And it is not something that it needs to be panicked. It's just a different approach that they're taking to wine buying, and that different approach is working for them, and obviously it's going to work for the wine industry. I can't see why not. Okay. So let's go back to this next one here. Uh, Virginia Tech researchers are employing dogs to sniff out the infamous 
spotted lanternfly. We've talked about this spotted lanternfly for a long time, for three or four years. I, I have to say that All About Wine was one of the first ones who ever mentioned this. It was something I talked about before you started to see it in all the wine journals and everything. Because it is bad, and it is in starting Pennsylvania, now it's down to Virginia and around. But Virginia Tech researchers are training dogs to detect the spotter and lanternfly eggs. And they're training them, which is just the, the article says, the simple reward system, you smell out the egg and I'll give you some food. And dogs like that. Obviously, they like that. And it's working. Uh, they're taking them out to the vineyard and showing them around the vineyard. The dogs are sniffing and finding spotted lanternfly eggs. And then they're rewarded with with uh, treats. And so it's, uh, they're finding that uh, uh, only uh, dogs trained. Uh, you can't just take a dog out there and expect him to find it. It's not going to happen. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a determinant of the spot on lanternfly. Uh, let's see here. Oh, he said that the uh, uh, guy who's training the dog said he, he first had a first time uh, uh, oh, where am I? He recalls flying the drone when the a fly was first detected at the research center uh, about two years ago, and he said there were thousands of them. And uh, so he partnered with uh, the university's canine oil faction research and education laboratory and got a uh, dog out there, and they're training dogs now to be able to sniff out and find the eggs of the spotted lantern fly. Good for them. Uh, you know, the more and more ways we can stop that bug, the better it is. It is really starting to travel around the world. I haven't seen the latest map of the spot on lanternfly, um, but from what I understand, it is it has advanced tremendously around the country. I. Uh, I'll have to see if I can't find a map somewhere, but it uh, really has taken over. Peru has found six new grape varieties, the wine grape varieties, uh, by researchers uh, in the desert province of Carvalho in uh, southern Peru. Uh, the new six varieties are called Jane, J-A-E-N, Cantrilla, uh, Sinza, and it's also locally known as Malata, Negro de Carvelli, Loca, and Moscatel Negro Rubio. And these grapevines are unregistered yet. They are Vitus vinifera grapes, and they are, uh, uh, said, four newly identified mutations of the Negro Carvelli variety have been determined deemed warrant further research and uh, they said it is uh, possible to there's I think there are, uh, here we go 
uh, at least two of the varieties, the uh, white Zhang and the red Contrilla, are natural crossings of the Negro uh, Corolla and the local variant of Muscatel de Alexandria. So uh, they said they are worthy of propagation for wine production. So six new wine, discover, uh, wine grapes discovered. It's always amazing to me how they can discover new things in our world with so much technology we have and everything else and everything that's going on. And here they find six new wine grapes in uh, an area of proof that you would think that it would be noticed and uh, I don't know. It just fascinates me. It is it really does that they would do that. But new new wine grapes in Peru, uh they have uh come out. We'll see if they we hear any new information on them coming up in in the future. They do all pass it on to you. If you are in the market and you are seriously considering buying a wine, and here's a big wine on the market in Australia. All right. It is Selena Estate in the Riverland, one of Australia's biggest wineries. And it's time, it says, quote, it's time to ease back a bit and slow things down a bit, says the manager director. Um Bob Perchita, 64. Selena State, established in 1998, produces about 100, or I'm sorry, 10,000 tons of wine each year, about 70% of which have been exported. So there's a market there for it. Included in the cell are 191.5 hectares of vineyards. A lot. Half our vineyards are certified organic. We probably got one of the largest, if not the largest, holdings of organic Syrah and Cabernet, said Bob. Other assets include a cellar door, a restaurant, bottling line, a distillery, and a residence. The winery is named after Bob and Sylvia Francetto's daughter, Selena. The property is being sold through Collier's Agribusiness. And that's it. No price, no anything. You are seriously interested, you can get a hold of them, and I'm sure that they will more than be happy to send you the price. Uh, pretty modern looking place, too. Uh, they have a picture. There's uh, a 3, 6, 9, 12, 18 big tanks outside, and uh, two, four, six, eight, and twelve smaller tanks uh, outside. Also, and I don't can't tell. They don't show anything inside or any more stuff. But there you go. Get a hold of them. Uh, Australia Collier's Agribusiness. You probably go to Collier's Agribusiness dot au. I guess that's the code for Australia and. They'll show you more through there, but a big winery for sale. Uh, okay, this is done. And let's go to 
this and let's go to what I want. This is what I want. And oh, here we go. Archaeologists have uncovered a Roman winery. And it also shows paintings on the wall of it, too. And it says, ancient winery has been discovered in the ruins of the Villa di Quintili. Uh, they were searching for a chariot arena that was built beneath it, and they discovered the winery. And the winery was discovered by chance. It says, new archaeological ar archaeologists in Rome discover an opulent winery almost 2,000 years old, which may have been used to entertain imperial guests. And this is situated just beyond the perimeters of ancient Rome. Covered nearly 24 hectares of land and surrounded a landscape of orchards, agriculture, and other lavish villas. So it's thought that the flow would then have channeled into vast storage jars set in the ground for fermentation to take place which was a standard practice at the time. Oh, all right. Big winery that was found 2,000 years ago. That's just, that's always amazing. Always amazing when you see stuff that, uh, like that. Oh. Uh, that's, that's interesting. And let's see. New type of wine. Uh, New type of wine is emerging in the San Francisco Bay Area. No one knows what to call it because it is a blend of fruit wine and grape wine. And it sounds like, uh, oh, don't do this to me. I am a subscriber. Uh, San Francisco Chronicle here. I'm a subscriber and it's booting me out until I put back in. Hang on. Okay, there we go. Brings it up. Yeah. There we go. All right. Is a fruit wine and it is blended with Sauvignon Blanc. It's sold in the San Francisco area. They said people are getting tired of the same old, same old and they're looking for other things. And they said it's really starting to sell quite well. Uh, they don't have a name for it yet because it is quite new. And they're really concerned about how they're going to get certification because it is not wine and it's not, well, fruit wine is fruit wine. So it should be able to get a certification on that. But we'll see. New new wine in the San Francisco area of fruit wines. And let's go back to this one here. And oh yeah. This is if you are going to be in California anytime around the what date? 
June the 1st to the 4th, Livermore Valley, California. Livermore is just east and a little south of San Francisco, just almost due east of San Jose. Uh, great Valley. There's a lot of stuff there, too. A lot of wineries around Livermore Valley and everything. But they're going to have the, I think, first annual, is this? Yeah. First annual, uh, what they're calling Cab Frank Arpalooza. The Cab Frank Arpalooza. It's going to take place June the 1st to the 4th in Livermore Valley. It's going to be four days. Forty wineries will celebrate all things Cabernet Franc with events and tastings, with the grand tasting on Sunday the 4th. Uh, Tickets are available at campfrontpalooza.com. Camp Franc Apalooza, Apalooza, C-A-B-F-R-A-N-C-A-P-A-L-O-O-Z-A. And they have all sorts of events. Uh, Celebration of Livermore Valley Cabernet Franc is on Thursday the 1st uh, with a big event at the Posada Restaurant. And Friday, Livermore Valley versus Lower Valley, a blind tasting uh, that's going on. Uh, six wines from two regions. Saturday, exploration into Cab Franc will offer intimate tasting experience with five unique regions, Livermore Valley, Napa Valley, Oregon, Virginia, and Bordeaux. And then Sunday, the grand tasting will be hosted outdoors at the Stephen Kent Winery in Livermore. And will feature 25 wineries and 18 unique wine regions that produce world-class Cab Franc. That sounds fantastic. I love Cabernet Franc. I really do. I mean, I, I would rather get a Cabernet Franc than a Cabernet Sauvignon any day. Dates, June 1st to the 4th. Location, Livermore Valley. Or Livermore, California. They, I, they don't call it Valley anymore, I guess. Ticket prices start at $79 and can be purchased at cabfrancapalooza.com. So, uh, there you go. We'll end on that tonight. That's a, that's a great event. Might have to take the All About Wine Private Jet out there for that. That would be that would be a good use for it. We try to cut back on using the All About Wine Private Jet because of uh, you know, global warming and all that stuff. We try to do our part, but try to be discreet when we use it. And maybe something like this is falls into that discreet yeah. category. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, we are, uh, let me look at the right clock here. I've got three different times on my screen. Uh, almost <laughs> eight o'clock. Yeah. yeah. The other one is two and a, two minutes and 15 seconds behind it again. I don't know. Uh, get that figured out. Sometimes it's, uh, it's video, it's uh, all kinds of stuff going. But uh, anyway, uh, and remember, I told you before the show, you said something. Asked me if we had rain, and the fact that you mentioned it probably jinxed us. Well, I had to put the the storm uh, warning uh, bulletin on the uh, little ticker thing. It red. <laughs> then all of a sudden, I, I go, "What in the world?" So I looked at the radar, and I go, "Oh, we're getting hit from the north," and and. Luckily, oh. it died down. It got overhead, but it was there's some 
orange and reds that were heading this way, and it just all of a sudden it hits, you know, um, wow. the northern of us, and it just kind of died out before it hit. So, uh, but I thought you got to be kidding me. <laughs> that's, you know, kidding. that's amazing how that storms just die out mm-hmm. here in Florida. I've never been yeah. anywhere where. You have a storm that's mm-hmm. heading at you, and you're going, hit the deck, and then you look up, and it's gone. Yeah, well, yeah they're not consistent. It's it's kind of like, uh, you know, hey, we're moving in, and then they go, no, nah, we'll just go around. No, we'll, just, we'll, we'll just stop. We'll just yeah, stop. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. That's funny. I it's It's been good here, but we look to the east, and it's some nasty big clouds heading this way from the east, mm-hmm. so. We'll probably yeah. get some pretty yeah. soon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I had someone show me um, uh, some hail damage they had, uh, to, uh, not today, but it was within the last week or so, I think it really? was. And, uh, yeah, they had a they had two hailstones uh, next to a uh, tape measure, and it was, um, it was about two inches across, I think. Whoa. And... Yeah, it was a it was a chunk, and they said, "Oh yeah, we this is our yard." And I looked at it, and I go, "Wow, this is oh, here." It was, it was yeah, it got got hit. Uh, it was Haines City, and they said, Hain "You know City. how bad was it here?" And I go, "Yeah," I said, "It didn't happen here, you know. It's um, around and nothing here. It's just That's never know." Typical Florida, typical Florida. You yeah. know, hailstones that large will knock yeah. out your windshield and your your back window yeah. if it's at a slant and put dents yeah. in your car and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. How... It definitely uh, got some damage. It, uh, they even said it broke out a bunch of windows in, in a couple of houses there. I guess it was flying oh, sideways. And, um, they said one house looked like someone just took a, um, a machine gun, I guess, one of those real rapid fire things and just shot yeah. the front of the other house with, with oh. the pellets. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, geez. All of a sudden. Um, yeah. So when I saw that, I thought, it's a small storm heading this way, but. <laughs> but it, it, could Ron had to stones, yeah. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. It could be. I was I was at the golf course, and somebody's telling me about uh, hailstones that were hitting around lately, too. Maybe that was that was what they were talking about. Maybe they saw something from Hain City, too, because they were saying that it was. Big old hailstones that were coming down and and yeah. uh, damaged the cars and all that. So yeah, Melbourne. That was rough in Melbourne, Florida. Um, a couple of how many weeks ago that was, but uh, they had man, it was terrible. Uh, yeah. Well, strange stuff going on. Um, right. Strange weather. It's hard. It is. Uh, I'll look at one monitor. It's eight oh three, and we'll uh, go ahead and close out the show. Uh, thank oh. you to everybody for oh. uh, next week, Mother's yeah. Day Sunday. So mm-hmm. our sincerest mm-hmm. wishes out to all moms and uh, oh. grandmas and stepmoms and every every mother out there. Uh, you wish you much, have a, a great, great Mother's Day. And every day, mom should be celebrated. That's we were talking last week about how they should have more than just one day to celebrate some of this stuff. Mothers should be celebrated every day. Tell yeah. you, tell your mom exactly. you appreciate her and love her every day. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Not all about that. I was just getting ready to. I thought you were going to uh, next week's uh, guest and. Um, no, I just. 
it just dawned on me uh, Mother's Day is happening. So, oh, right. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yep. Treat her special uh, every day. Right. We will uh, talk well, next week, next Thursday, 7 p.m. live Eastern Time. At 7 p.m. Eastern Time, we're live on Blog Talk Radio and every place else just about. So uh, thank you all for tuning in this Thursday, which is uh, May the uh, 11th. And uh, have a great weekend and a great week ahead. And be safe. Yep. We'll talk thank you for listening. See you next week. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Juan. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. I'm going to the green.